Hey guys, I'm Stephen Brewster. I get to serve the global church in the world of creativity, and I am so excited to be on the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this show was created to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every month. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. And although this is episode number two, it's the first official episode of this normal format for the show. Every month, we're going to talk with thought leaders and people with wisdom and experience in the areas of creative and worship and production ministries. And this month, we talk with Stephen Brewster. He's the creative arts pastor at Freedom House Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I first heard him speak at Echo Conference, and then I saw him again at Salt Conference last year. And I think he's tapped into something that is special when it comes to creative ministry in the church and finding that balance between leading and providing structure within a creative ministry, but also letting creatives be creatives and and giving them the freedom that they need to create great work and setting them up to succeed. And I think that this applies to large churches where there's a creative ministry staff of several people. And I also think this applies to a small church where your quote-unquote creative ministry right now might just be you as the worship leader and then your volunteer worship band. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I think it's going to inspire you to think of your ministry differently and encourage you in this role that God has called you to. But first, the product of the month is Triple Wide Media. This is something that we use in our church. They they provide a large collection of motion and still backgrounds that you can use in your services to kind of add to the aesthetic of things, specifically for triple wide formats and double wide formats, as well as single wide. So for example, in our room, we have normal projectors on the side. That's the normal 16 by 9 HD format. And that's where we put the lyrics to our songs. But we also have this screen that's in the middle of our stage. That's a part of the stage aesthetic. And the way that we use this We have the screen, and then there's three projectors that are mounted behind it, and they're all tied together with technology to provide this one long visual thing that's on our stage. And whether you're doing this or environmental projection, the problem now becomes finding content that is designed for these double-wide and triple-wide screens. And so triple wide media is perfect for that. You can set up an account. It's completely free. And then you just buy the backgrounds that you need a la carte. And the cool thing is, is that like in our case, we need the triple wide version, but we also have these side screens, which is a single wide. So one purchase means that you get the content for single, double, and triple. You just do it once and you get all three of those formats. They also have a lot of free content like the free motion backgrounds and free motion of the month and resources that can really help you even get started into using uh, triple wide screens. Like, for example, how do you get those projectors to all talk to one another? How do you plug all that stuff in? What kind of technology do you need to plug that into your Pro presenter or whatever you're using to run all of your backgrounds. If you're interested in doing environmental projection, which is basically just using these graphics and shining it throughout your entire venue. So it's, it's kind of like an IMAX experience where it just goes beyond the eye can see. And it really kind of helps to just create this environment that is is 
surrounding. You can find all that and more at Triple Wide Media. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. And now, here's my conversation with Stephen Brewster. And if you want to find the show notes and the links and info, all the things that we talk about in this episode, all you have to do is go to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast two, and everything you need is there. Stephen Brewster, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be here, David. Thank you so much. Man, I, I love having you on here. And one of the things I always think is really cool, uh, you've done this on a few of my Instagram posts, but I've seen it on others too, where you know people will be talking about things that happen in their church services. And you always do this hashtag, never just another Sunday. And I love that just because... You know, it's so easy as as creatives, especially when we kind of find the formula and we do the thing and Sunday's always coming. Yeah. That it's it's really easy just to kind of like we got another one under our belt. We did another one. We did the formula. We did the theme. We did the four songs and 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 the prayer and and all that and just Man, it's such a good reminder that, you know, like every Sunday special, especially, you know, because you have no idea who's walking in the door. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I think in being a little bit, I'm going to say seasoned instead of old in this position. Um, I, like, I like that. I've gotten to watch how there's certain weekends that our energy is through the roof. And then there's certain weekends where maybe we drift a little bit or we kind of can put it on cruise control and make it through. And, and honestly, that's not good. And, and it's somebody's first Sunday every weekend. And so for me, it's never just another Sunday, man. I love that. You've been, okay, how long have you been the creative arts pastor uh, at Freedom House? So I've been at Freedom House for a year. Okay. Uh, I've been doing this job, though, for a lot longer. I've probably been doing this job for 10 years. How did you get started doing this? Um, so my background's music business. Um, I wanted to be the P. Diddy of Christian music. And so um, I love urban music and rap music and um when I was getting into music and the music business, there wasn't a lot of that that was um, prevalent in in the Christian music scene. And so uh, I moved to Nashville, dropped out of college. I was a radio TV major, a broadcast major, dropped out of college my senior year with a semester to go, just like my parents drew it up on the plans. And, yes. Um, and then uh, headed to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, 1996. And that's been home ever since. So when, as a, like a creative arts pastor, I mean, what do you see as, as like the most important role? Like when you get up every day and you're leading this creative ministry or worship ministry or whatever, like what is on your mind? Like what, what's, what's the task at hand? Okay. So that's a great question. It used to be make the coolest stuff possible. Now it's develop the best people possible. And so I fail as a creative arts pastor if I don't develop a team that is ridiculous. And so most of them, the most important thing that I do every day is pour into my team and make my people better. And so, um, I always look to hire young, aggressive, super creative kids, and then help them learn how to navigate creative life and creative life in the storytelling of the gospel. So it's people, man. It's always about people. When did you, okay. But you said it, like, it started at one place and then it changed like, when did that happen? Um, I think it changed for me when I started. So I had a, a boss. Uh, her name is Jenny Katrin. She was, she's unbelievable. 
Um, and, and, uh, she's probably the best boss I ever worked for, but also the hardest. And, um, I was, I was dipping into the weeds a little too much. I was, I was designing when I shouldn't be designing and writing scripts when I shouldn't be writing scripts. And, uh, she called me into our office one day and she goes, Hey, um, the next time I see you designing, I'm going to fire you. And I was like, wow. And she's like, I didn't hire you to create. I hired you to lead creatives. And it like just clicked for me in that moment. And I was like, okay, I won't do it again. Hey, I don't want to lose my job, but more importantly, I, uh, I want to, I want to help develop the, the, the best people possible because our time is so short, man. Like you don't know tomorrow holds, you don't, I mean, the Bible's super clear about it, but it's so important that we invest in people and we invest our best into our people. And when we develop leaders, we create legacy. And I think that it's in that conversation, in that moment, it switched for me from don't try to be so cool. Try to be the guy that you wish you had when you were 23. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it, it's so easy because, you know, the, the whole adage of, you know, trying to replace yourself, like that's the goal is, you know, it, it kind of puts you in a, uh, what seems like on the surface, in a vulnerable place. Right. Scary. If I, if I let someone else design it, they could probably do a job that's 10 times better than me. And then, then I got, you know, senior leadership looking at me like, well, why do we have Steven here? Because I mean, here's Dale and Dale blew this piece, you know, well out of the water or, or you know, I, I, you let so-and-so sing a song and all of a sudden everyone's talking about how great a job they did. And you're like, you know, I don't know, we find ourselves, whether we like to admit it or not, in those insecure places well, and the other the other thing about that is not just well is there the potential that they will do it better. If you hire the right people, that's not a question. It's inevitable. They're going to do it better than you if you're hiring well. They should. They should. The problem is that as creative people, our identity gets way too trapped up in what we're doing than it does in who we're becoming. And so we confuse our acceptance around the things that we make instead of the people that we become. And God doesn't care what we make. He cares who we become. And so um, we get this really jacked up, like messed up, disillusioned identity crisis going on in our life because our identity is found in the things that we make. And that's not a healthy place. And it doesn't sustain because eventually, and this is like earth shattering news, eventually someone's not going to like the things that you make. And that's good. Like that's a really good thing. So when we can replace our identity with Christ and allow him to be the source of our acceptance, then all of a sudden who designs the piece matters a whole lot less. That's good stuff. So as you know, so as you're focusing on this, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of camping out here because I think it's, it's really easy for, for creatives, for us to, you know, that's what we, that's what we do. We, you know, it, it almost, you can think like, I would imagine prior to you walking into her office, you thought my job is to make stuff. You know, I, I lead the worship, I play guitar, I do these, you know, I sing the songs, I make this graphic piece. I like, that's what you hired me to do. And it, the idea of like, you know, I'm just going to sit over here and provide leadership, but I'm going to let you do it. Almost, you know, on the surface, it seems like, well, I'm not doing my job. Like I'm, 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 I'm passing the buck to someone else, and I'm making them do the quote unquote grunt work. 
you know, but as so as as you kind of made that shift, I mean, part of it was, yeah, you didn't want to lose your job. But the other part of it, too, is you kind of started to see the point over the next six months. Kind of walk me through that. Like as, as you as you let the team do more and you did less and less on the front lines. I mean, what did you see happen? What was running through your mind? Uh, massive fear and anxiety. Um, I, I remember going home and being like. Jackie, that's my wife's name. Can you believe that? Can you believe that that Jenny doesn't want me to do this anymore? And she's like, I totally can believe that. You've hired great people who are better than you. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm getting attacked on all fronts right now. Wives are so good at that. It's like it's I obvious, mean, stupid. Yeah. Hello, Doctor Obvious. Why don't you figure it out? And and uh, and, and and so really, honestly, the next six months, I. I really battled to find me and it was the transition from being a doer to being a leader. And honestly, I think it's the heart, one of the hardest transitions that we make in our leadership journey. And our leadership journey is our creative journey because when you're a creative person, God made you to be creative. You're made in his image. Um, there's a difference between being creative and being an artist. When God's created you to be an artist, that still doesn't mean you don't lead. Some of the greatest artists are great leaders. They lead organizations and companies. And, and uh, we, a lot of times, confuse great artists as people who just make dope stuff, and that's all they do. But those days are over. Um, you know, Our world is different now. We have, we have access to so much more information and education to make us better, that we can be more balanced and rounded. And, and I don't know that an, as an artist you're ever balanced or rounded. Um, I think some of the unbalance is what creates us to be us. But yeah, so th- those six months, man, they were rough. I, I there was a lot of days that I walk in my office and be like, I'm just going to quit this job and go somewhere where I'm appreciated. Little did I know she was developing something in me that would set up the the legacy of my of my ministry, not just the 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 few minutes of fleeting adoration over some small piece of design or art or music that people wouldn't remember in two weeks. So, so when did you get it? Like, when did you like the light bulb go off and you, and you, you saw the full picture of like, Oh, like you, you mentioned that she was developing something in you as a leader. Like, when did the light bulb go off and you're like, I see it now. I get it now. And, and, and maybe even some of that anxiety and fear like disappeared. I don't know if it ever does, but maybe dissipated. Uh, yeah, so it just, it started to dissipate when I started to find my way. So she's, like I said, she was a great leader, is a great leader. She has a great consulting company, um, that consults churches on culture and, and, and development. But, um, she was so good at affirming me in the things that she wanted out of me. And so I started finding my, uh, finding affirmation from, from her based on, the success of my team, not the success of my art. And all of a sudden it clicked for me. And I was like, wow, when these guys all win, we all win. When I win, only I win. That's really selfish. Mm-hmm. I need to help them win. And so when I committed my life to making them win, wow, everything changed. Yeah, we had a, a Sunday a few weekends ago where we had um, had the worship band from the, our students they our students did the the main uh, main worship so uh, they normally have their own services on Wednesday night and it's all student led there's a guy that plays electric guitar on the main stage that leads that team but other than that everyone else on the team they're all they're all high school students 
And we had the idea of like, hey, I think they could, I think they could, they could do it. And they'd love the experience, and I think they'll keep the the quality. I mean, they're they're, they're good enough that I man, we're you know, it, it's going to sound awesome. And I think, and our church really loves it when the younger generations lead them, and they they have the opportunity to lead. Well, I wasn't at ten forty five when our service started. Uh, the only place, the only responsibility I had was to stand next to my wife. I mean, I wasn't on the stage. I didn't sing a song. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't play drums. I didn't do anything. I literally had zero responsibility uh, at that point. And of course, you know, there was all the comments about how wonderful it is. And these are great students and social media blew up and everyone was talking about it, you know, and there's that little part, if we're honest with ourselves, there's that little part that's like, you know, well, what about, what about me? And what about me? But, but, Do I but, matter? Yeah, but but it's like, but you made that, you you know, God used you to make that happen. You know, you, you, you set them up to succeed. And I saw a great quote that's like, it's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. Yep. So. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're leading, okay, so, you know, you walk in day to day, you, you know, you, you know, you, I say like, you got this figured out, like we've all got this figured out. So that's somewhat tongue in cheek, but um, <laughs> as you're, when you're leading, when you're leading a group of, of creatives, I mean that when you start at, you know, when you're leading and you're adding structure and all that to creatives, it seems like those two are, they're counterculture that they, they, they are, they're, they're enemies of one another. And so how, how have you found the best way to lead and to motivate a, a group of creatives and still allow them to do what God has called them to do. Yeah. So what a, what an interesting balancing act, right? Because, um, do, do you ever lead creatives? I, I, I think that's the, the tension that I've tried to find. I think you guide creatives. I think you, you try to help your, your creative people be their best people. And so when I'm leading my team, what I'm really looking for is, clarity around the win, um, and then them to use the gifts and talents that they have to accomplish that win and staying out of their way while being the guardrails for them. That's it. Creative people, man, at the end of the day, they, the, the, the biggest thing they're worried about is, do you care about them? And are you going to protect them? Because creativity is birthed out of courage and, and curiosity. And so when, when we don't create environments and conditions that are conducive for curiosity and courage, people are going to make really creative stuff. And so as a leader, when I cultivate that kind of environment, all of a sudden I've created a space for them to do things that I would have never expected. And then all of a sudden things get super awesome. I love that. I don't know if I answer your question right or not, but <laughs> is there a right way though? <laughs> I mean, that's that's my point. Like, you know, maybe there's not, Dave, you know? <laughs> well, I think I think it was Andy Stanley that first said, like, you know, some things are a problem to solve and some things are attention to manage. Yeah. And I, I, I kinda like the idea that you don't lead creatives as much as you guide them and you just and you kind of give them some guardrails, you know, just so you know, we still have this big, you know, sandbox to play in and there's all these things we can do. But, and I think also too, I think clarifying the win, I mean, even just that idea of having a win. I mean, when, uh, when we play sports, we like to know if we're winning or losing, we wanted, if we're losing, we want to know why. And, you know, and we go into the locker room and we make adjustments and we look at this, we look at whether it's offense or defense. I mean, that's super, super clear. But then like, how do you win at worship leading? 
That's a great question. And, and, and it's, it's a little ambiguous because, you know, it's not number of hands raised, right? Uh, as, as much as we'd like it to be, because that's an easy metric to attain. Um, I think like most things that are creative, it's instinctual. So when you start to feel the organization and the room and the culture of your worship environments grow, and there's, you know, they're, they're, the participation is not just karaoke, but it's, it, you can feel something happening in the room. All of a sudden you're realizing, oh, we're creating a culture here. We're not just singing a song. And that is, there, that is measurable. Um, it's not measurable on a spreadsheet, but it's measurable in uh, intuition and understanding. Then, and then you take that and you go, okay, what are the things that we did to create this to happen? Okay, so we put these songs out earlier for people to hear them. We repeated the songs more frequently. Uh, so more people, because the average person in America attends church 1.3 times a month, according to Barna. If you sing the same song uh, four weeks in a row, everyone's heard it one and a half times. And so your musicians and, and singers hate it because they're like, all we ever sing is oceans. But the people who attend your church have only heard oceans one and a half times in a month. But you realize, okay, if I change the, the depth of my, my, cat, my catalog and I increase the frequency, maybe that's going to increase the repetition and help people get more engaged in what we're doing and change that culture. So it's just little things like that. I think a lot of times too, like stories can be like a metric. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like you can't, you know, you can't have a, uh, you know, a spreadsheet that is measuring KPIs or something crazy like that for, for worship leading. Um, and it, and it can't necessarily be like, you know, we came out, you know, after the set in the green room, we're all pumped up and fired up, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that can be a metric, but when you start hearing stories and, you know, and being able to share, you know, like maybe someone posts on their social media account, how a particular song, like, God, have you really used that to, um, uh, to work in their life? And then you share that, like you as the leader, it's like, okay, it's your responsibility to share that with people so that they know that, okay, the reason we did all that. Is because here's how God used it. Yep. Here's how he how he poured into that. Yep. That's a hundred percent right. And and those stories are sticky, man. And when those stories start to share, all of a sudden you watch your culture blow up. You're like, whoa, this is like this is special. Like this is really like something unique is happening in this environment. How do we capitalize that? You mentioned how, you know, that one of the one of the most important things for a creative is that they just, they need to feel valued and cared for and that they're going to create creative things out of that confidence. So how, how can you as a leader, um, how can, how can you do that? Um, okay. So the first thing that you do, uh, and, and, and I think there's probably a lot of ways to do this. Honestly, I can only speak to the way that I do it and have done it. Um, and, and I would say that the, one of the things that I'm most, if there's anything that I should that 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 I'm that I'm allowed to be proud of uh, in ministry, um, I think some of the teams that I've built are the things that make me the happiest because uh, the the people that I've done life with in ministry, like we have a different bond and connection that's special. Uh, Jackie and I kind of look at them like they're our kids, and so you build it through relationship, right? I can tell you that I've got your back all day long, but until I actually get your back 
and I take the bullet for you and I don't allow you to be the one that goes down with the ship. I go down with the ship and I give you the, the life raft. All of a sudden you're like, wow, that person really does care about me. And when I care more about you than about the product that you're creating for me, when I'm spending time with you on the weekends, when I'm texting you how you're feeling, when I'm texting you about your kids, when I'm showing up when you're in the hospital, when I'm being a pastor to the team that I lead, all of a sudden I have a different equity with you than other people in the organization. And it, it's always been funny to me when I've gone through seasons of transition and, and other leaders will be like, well, man, your team, like they just, they're so heartbroken that you're leaving. And I'm like, I would hope so. Like, like I'm investing the best days of my life in these people to make their best days of their life better. I, and that's a gift that I get to give them and that God's allowing me to do. I would hope that they're sad that we don't, we aren't going to have the same day to day relationship. So it, it, it's all about relationship. It's all about investing relationally and then, and then taking that relational equity and leveraging it to allow them to take chances where you will get in trouble for their failures, not them. That does not permission uh, people to not be accountable. However, accountability is vital because that trust has to go both ways. That's yeah, that's wise. And, and I think it's, it's something that you do a little bit here and there. Yep. Like you can't make huge deposits or huge withdrawals in that account. I mean, it's, it's just, you're dropping quarters in every day. It, it could be a text message. It could be, you know, maybe even something that they're passionate about. Maybe there's a certain song that, you know, that they really want to introduce and like, you could take it or leave it. But you're like, you know what? You are so passionate about this. Let me give you an on-ramp. Let's give it a whirl. Let's give it a try. Because I know that, you know, you know, where you, you know they have an on-ramp for, for their ideas that, that you know, yep. you're not the one always picking the songs or, you know, doing all the different things. Where they, they have, have a chance to, to speak in and make decisions and guide the ministry. And, and it's so important that at no point do they feel like all the decisions are my decisions. Like if, if my decisions are the, the decisions that if, if my voice is louder than everybody else's voice in the room, that's not fair. Like what have I done to, a, to accrue that kind of equity? Nothing. I, I owe them this, the same respect. And truthfully, as you grow as a leader, when I was at cross point, I, I would, I was involved in the song selection. And then eventually I got to the point where I, they were responsible for the song selection. Then it got to the point that I didn't even know what songs we were singing anymore because the trust grew together. And, and, and now if I, there was a song I, and they were like, what do you think about the set today? I'm like, I hate that song. However, it doesn't mean you should remove it from the set. If that song is speaking to our church, my personal opinion should not matter. And that all of a sudden empowered them even more to go chase what they feel like God's calling our church and what God's calling the global church to in worship. So that's wise. And I think, you know, cause then it moves from like, Hey, we're doing this to make Stephen happy to like, no, we're really, we're trying to make good decisions. That's for our church. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love that. Hey, are you ready for the bonus round? I can't wait. I mean, I've been, I've been on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I know you have. Okay. We're doing the bonus round. Here it goes in three, two, one, coffee or tea? Sugar-free Red Bull. 
That wasn't an option. Is this how this is going to go? I'm creative, bro. I'm creative. You can't box me in like that. Early riser or night owl? Both. <laughs> I, I, as I get older, I don't sleep. So, like, I can't go to sleep at night and I'm ready to get up and attack the day in the morning. That so. makes sense. I can get on board with that. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Ooh. Oh, gosh. That's a stumper. Um, Okay, well, I'm, I'm a sports fan, so I love Sports Center. Um, Netflix, man, there's this hip hop documentary called, I forget what it's called right now. And then there was a, an HBO Now version, another one called uh, The Disruptives or something like that. It was about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. It was amazing. So I sucked at answering that question, but I, I gave it my best effort. You did. Cat or dog? Uh, dog, I, dog, I guess. Neither. Favorite place to find creative inspiration? everywhere like it's it's all around me it's just it's a matter of me keeping my eyes open and my antenna up um so i can be inspired by anything if, if i'm paying attention that's good favorite book that every creative should read the war of art by stephen pressfield what's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about oh gosh my basketball skills are amazing are they and no but i think they are <laughs> I love it. What is something that you do every day, no matter what? Um, okay, there's a couple. So obviously, I read my Bible every day, no matter what. I also read um, this app called Letting Go. Uh, it's like a, it's a almost a counseling session in an app form, which is amazing. And then I meditate every day. That's cool. If you could give a TED talk, what would it be about? Oh, easy. The personality types around ideas. Ooh, that would be fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the bonus round. Thank you very much. Good, Woo! good job. Well, I didn't do, I didn't do a great job. I did, I was average, average at best. You were, you, you were unique. Okay, I'll take that. We'll go with that. So, a lot of what we're talking about here is just, um, you know, this idea of of leading as a creative person. And I'm thinking about, you know, those that are like worship pastors at, I don't know, a 200 member church, just to kind of give it some kind of context. Like, they were, their job description is, you know pick songs, lead them, lead the band. You know, that's what leadership is kind of expecting them to do. And here we are talking about like pouring into creatives and none of these people have, you know, staff people. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's them. They're the only yep. ones that are on staff. It, and they may be, you know, bivocational. And so you're, you're talking about like leading and pouring into people and like, I don't, you know what, I just play guitar. You know, so what's the first step? Like, what are some like some things to do or resources or whatever that we can point people to that kind of help with those first steps? Yeah, great question. So I don't know that there is a resource out there right now, honestly. And uh, because of that, and this is top secret news, so I'm sharing it here first. I'm actually working with another organization on creating uh, the beginner's guide to being a creative artist pastor. And It'll be a master's class type experience that you can that you can invest in to learn the skills of being a creative arts pastor. Because here's how most creative arts pastors get picked. They find the dude who has tattoos, earrings, and a summer scarf, and they're like, you're over everything creative. Run with it. And that, that person's like, I just played the bass. Like, I, I, I'm not even employed, actually. And and. That I'm here all the time because I don't have anywhere else to go. And they're like, I know, but you're creative. You've got the scarf thing and the hat. Like, go, go be creative. And that person's like, I don't know the first thing about doing this. 
but they've just been anointed. And so um, let's, let's give them some tools and some resources. In the meantime, while we're developing this program, I do some coaching. Uh, you can go to my website, stephenbrewster.me, um, and you'll see the coaching links there. Um, and uh, ask a lot of questions, man. Um, that's the best thing you can do right now until we get this resource put together. And we're going to link all that stuff up in the in the show notes. And so, and even as more things kind of come available, we can update the show notes and make sure we get those resources. But that you mentioned that about the bass player, I think that's kind of funny. I, I think this this isn't just a creatives, you know, department problem. I think it's anywhere. Like you know, you might have an auto garage that fixes cars, and you have the best mechanic on the floor. I mean, he is great at fixing cars. So what do we do to reward him? Make him the manager. We promote him. Yeah. Yeah, and so now he's the manager. Just because he's a great mechanic doesn't necessarily mean that he uh, has all the tools and resources to be a great manager. That's a completely different skill set. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I think we just fully expect, yeah, you're good at it. You should be able to train other people at it. And if we don't resource that, then uh, then that person's going to be in a world of hurt. Yep, absolutely, 100%. So that's what we're trying to help solve. That's the, the tension that we're trying to resolve right now. How have you struggled and learned when it comes to like leading creatives? Wow, that's a really good question. How have I struggled in leading creatives? I think anytime that I have positioned the product or the project over the person, I failed miserably. And so in the mo I'm a I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm a, an achiever, a driver. I want to win at everything I do. I'm like hyper competitive. My kids hate playing games with me because I want to dominate them. I don't want them to like, they, they're going to have to go to counseling for, for board games. But, um, but anytime that I've allowed my achiever side to overcompensate for the other, the development side of what I should be doing is when I've failed the most. Mm -hmm. So another, another area where I think, I, I don't think I know I've failed and, and if I'm being vulnerable and honest, Dave, the truth is, um, sometimes leadership gets over your head and you're put in positions that you're not prepared for and you're not ready for. And I've had to go on, I've had to walk into several meetings over the last four or five months and apologize for either the culture that I created or the mistakes that I made in leadership. And I've had to own those things. And one of the things that I've found is when, as a leader, when you own your mistakes and you own your failures, you've just shifted the room from being angry and upset to being empathetic and sympathetic. And all of a sudden you've won equity where you, your equity win way outpaces the equity loss of the failure. And so, um, I would just encourage everyone listening today. God cares about you. He cares about who you are and about who you're becoming and your mistakes don't define you. And so own your mistakes. Um, don't let your mistakes try to shame you or discredit you. Your mistakes are actually the badges that are going to give you the authority to, to actually move you to the best levels of leadership. And God's sitting there cheering you on. He's waiting for you to, to get comfortable with yourself so that you can become the leader he's always designed you to be. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stephen Brewster. I think my favorite part is just that idea of guiding versus leading when it comes to creatives, that instead of thinking of it as, as leading creatives, 
that you're just you're providing the rails, you're providing the the safe haven and allowing them to do what they do, define the wind so they know what the target is, and then just making sure that it doesn't go off the rails. But anything else, there's this big, huge sandbox that you can play in. Go for it. And I love that. You can find the show notes to this episode by just going to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast. Too. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, whether that be Google Play or Stitcher or TuneIn or Spotify, obviously iTunes. And if you're listening to us on the iTunes app, would you consider leaving an honest five-star rating and review? If you enjoyed this podcast, leaving a rating really does help to get the word out so that iTunes knows that people are finding value in this podcast and they will continue to push it up in the ranks so that more and more people can discover it. It really does help. We're also still continuing to provide weekly videos on YouTube, sharing ideas, tips, and practical advice for the everyday worship leader. And if you just did the little motions with your hands and your fingers, you're my people. I'm so glad that you're here. We've got a couple of videos that we just released on the channel over the last couple of weeks that I think have really helped a lot of people. One being, should your worship team get rid of music stands? Now, this is a really hot topic. You wouldn't think it, but it's a really kind of sensitive topic among worship leaders. And if you put them all together, like at a conference, in a room, or whatever, there's some pretty strong opinions on whether you should or shouldn't use music stands. And it has to do with engagement and things like that. And so my goal in this video was just to kind of provide the the benefits of both sides, and then you can decide what's good for your church because one size does not fit all, and what works at the church down the street doesn't necessarily work at your church. So the goal here is just to provide you with the information so that you can make an educated decision. Also, there's a video that we just did a week or so ago on the most effective thing a worship leader can do. And this is kind of a different style of video for me. It's honestly me in my car, just kind of sharing my heart a little bit and pulling back the curtain, which is essentially the, the, the crux of the video itself. And here at Practical Worship, because there's so many other great resources that really talk about the why, like why we lead worship and the spiritual side of that, Practical Worship picks up on that conversation and we focus more on the how, knowing that that the the why is covered in so many other areas we can come here and say okay now that we understand why we're doing this let's talk about how in the most effective ways that's really why practical worship got started but every now and then even here at practical worship it is good for us to remind why on earth we do this in the first place and that video kind of gives a little bit of an insight as to at least my vantage point on that this has been the practical worship podcast thank you so much for being here and for listening I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. Sugar-free Red Bull. That wasn't an option. Is this how this is going to go? I'm creative, bro. I'm creative. You can't box me in like that.